open with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Well, it's obvious our college students are on a ski retreat today. Pray for them. There are a number of guests that uh, are with them. And uh, we, we do things like this for more than just fun. We, we do things like this to win students to Christ and build them up in the ways of Jesus and his mission. So please be praying for them. Romans chapter 15, and as you're turning there, the title of the message this morning is Pray for Your Pastor and His Family. I've got some good news about prayer, by the way. This week I talked to a student that had an opportunity to come up with the class uh, to make a big impact with the class but needed some money to pay for the class and keep on maintaining financial goals. And so we, we met this week, and uh, I committed to pray for this student and came back to the office uh, after lunch with uh, this student and asked God to give it to him. And you sure do know he was praying as well. His family was praying. And by 5.30 that day, the prayer request had been answered. Wonderful. That's how God does things. You can ask God to come through with the request that is in His will, and God will answer. And so it's with that kind of spirit that we approach this subject in this text today. Now, I have hesitated to single myself out for the need for prayer because I didn't want to distinguish myself from uh, the rest of our staff or from our church, but I've done some reading lately, and I've come to the conclusion that blessings on the pastor end up being blessings on the staff and the family and the rest of the church. And so I'm not hesitating any longer to do so. And at the end of the message, I want to ask you to take the form that you found in your worship guide today, fill it out. There are three possible commitments you can make there. And if you will fill that out and put it in the offering plate as it comes by today, I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. I've got a number of people that I'm asking uh, God to give to my family and me to pray for us every day. Uh, probably tomorrow I'll be sending a prayer list uh, to those who participate uh, in, uh, in an email. And then if you will allow me to have your cell phone number, um, I will include you in a um, rapid response team of prayer with text messages. And you've got all that information that you can place there on your insert uh, that is there. But in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul urged the Roman Christians to pray for him. Beginning in verse number 30 of Romans 15, he said, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The urgent need of the hour is for the people to pray for the pastor and his family. Well, how should I go about that? Well, this text surfaces a number of uh, ways to approach this subject, how to pray for the pastor and his family. First, pray for the pastor and his family as if you are in a wrestling match. As if you're in a wrestling match. Now, I didn't say wrestling. There's a difference between wrestling and wrestling. Wrestling is theater. Now, every bit of it's real, but it's theater. Wrestling is more of the ancient Greco-Roman wrestling that was intense and required conditioning and training and was a battle on the map. Now, Romans chapter 15, verse 30, uses some language that directs us to the notion of wrestling. 
ancient Roman Greco wrestling. He says here, strive together with me in prayers to God for me. The word there, strive together, is soon agonizomai. And you hear an English word in there, agony. Soon is the Greek preposition with. And so agonize with me in prayer. Wrestle with me in prayer. Paul imagines himself on the mat of the world, wrestling with the world, the flesh, the devil, all the enemies of God in gospel ministry. And he says, you're out in the stands. I need the team to get out of the stands and get on the mat with me to wrestle this joker down. I've got to have your help. And it should not be one versus one. It should be a whole church full of people wrestling with me on the mat against the world, the flesh, the devil, and everything that opposes gospel ministry. Now, I want you to notice several things about this wrestling match. Um, Look at the urgency. He says in verse number 30, I beg you, I beg you, I, I exhort you, I appeal to you. It's an intense New Testament word. Paul, after all these years of experience, after all of his eloquence, after all of his erudition, is still pleading with the people of God to pray for him. He was effective, and yet there was never a moment where he could live without the prayers of the people of God. And the me here is singular. He's not just doing it generally. He's doing it specifically saying, please pray for me. Well, if Paul needed it, I certainly do. And and my family certainly does. So there's an urgency to this. We cannot afford to get this wrong. We cannot afford to be apathetic, casual, or indifferent. This has got to be an urgent commitment because the forces of evil that oppose the pastor and his ministry are very, very real. It's urgent. So that's the urgency of it. But that's not all. Look also at the possibility of it. He says, I urge you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus bled on the cross. He canceled sin of all believers, rose from the dead, and gave God's people access to the most powerful throne known anywhere. More powerful than Caesar's throne, all the way from there to the ruling powers of the President of the United States and the last remaining few monarchs of Europe. It's the most powerful throne and all the gifts, access, and blessings of the throne of God have been secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are large, great, glorious possibilities to anybody who will come in the name of Jesus Christ. So through Jesus Christ, and and so that's the possibility of it. Now look at the sympathy of it. Also, love of the Spirit. In Romans 5, 5, he says, the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's referring to here. If you love your pastor, as sometimes unlovely as he can be, still pray. If you have any love at all for the pastor and his family, pray for them. If you've got a heart for what they're enduring and going through, then pray for them. That's the sympathy of it. And then the trinity of it. Look what he says here. Now, I beg you, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the second member of the trinity, love of the Spirit, to strive together in prayers to God for me. So you find all three members of the trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, addressed here. In other words, all there is of God is given to the people of God to pray for the pastor and his family. And you've got to approach this 
like you are in a wrestling match. You've got to understand that with the urgency, that with the possibility, that with the sympathy and with the Trinity here in the text, you're going to have to strive once you get onto the mat. It is different when you get on the mat than when you sit in the stands and view the match. You need to understand, praying for the pastor and his family and their victory in life and ministry is going to be, now watch this, is going to be one of the most unpleasant things you've ever done in your life. It probably will not be any fun. It probably will not be satisfying. It probably will not be. In fact, I dare say that as you do this, some of the ugliest thoughts are going to come across your mind. Have you ever found that to be true when you're praying? Some of the ugliest thoughts in the world are coming across your mind? I hear that testimony often. And and then, bitter memories will surface as well. Um, Distractions, texts, calls, an agenda of things that you need to do will come across your mind because what the enemy will do is that he will be very, very certain that you do everything but this one thing and that is engaged in the wrestling match of praying for the pastor and his family. It's going to be like a wrestling match. You may have to perspire. In other words, what you're doing is that you are stepping into the realm of spiritual warfare. And that it's not pleasant. It's not a happy thing. It's not satisfying. But oh God, with God as my witness, it is necessary, vital, and urgent in this day. In other words, the pastor and his family cannot afford for you to approach prayer of any kind, especially this kind, with a peacetime mentality. You've got to approach prayer with a militant attitude. You've got to have a warlike attitude. You've got to go after it as if you are shaking the very foundations of hell because that's precisely what you're doing. You've stepped out of the stands and you're wrestling with the pastor and his family for their behalf against all the foes and enemies that are before them. And that's what you're doing. So you've got to, you've got to uh, give yourself to it as if you're in a wrestling match. Now I've got to tell you, um, I'll elaborate on this in just a moment, but ministry is a big challenge and it's difficult. I mean, you try having 400, employees, uh, 400 bosses sometimes. <laughs> Can you imagine that? 400 different bosses, and everybody knows how to run the church better than the pastor. Just ask them. Just ask them. And that's true for every staff position. Just imagine. It's a challenge. It's difficult. Uh, you've made it very, very sweet. This is, uh, And I've had real good pastors through the years. I've had tremendous senior adults. I have had tremendous middle and young adults. We've had growth from infants to young families in every ministry I've ever served since 1991 as a senior pastor. It's been remarkable. I've had a fun time. I described some of my ministries and churches to Leonard Dupree, who for about 20 years did church minister relations at the Georgia Baptist Convention, and he got filled up with sad, sorrowful stories. They only called him if there was a problem. And Leonard knew churches, and he told me, you had unusual churches, unusually good. And this one is better than anything I've ever had. 
And I'm, I'm not just saying that. I really do mean that. But the maturity, the way you handle things is just remarkable. Your expectations, wonderful in many, many different ways. And yet, I must tell you, due to no fault of yours, my family and I have suffered more here than any other place we've served. We have. I won't go into detail. It's not your fault. It has nothing to do with you. But we have suffered and suffered powerfully. I need you to get out of the stands and get onto the mat with my family and me. And I need you to approach this militantly, not with a peacetime mentality. Let me tell you why we do this. Do you know why we engage in ministry and we don't go do something else? Uh, when I surrendered to ministry, my pastor, I asked him, what, well, what do you think about me going into ministry? And he said, if you can do something else and be happy, go do it. Let me tell you why we do this. There's one word. It's got multiple, countless implications, but one word. The cross. On the cross where Jesus Christ died, he made a commentary on the wickedness and the evil and vileness of your sins and mine. It took the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to secure redemption. That's how ugly sin is. But it's also a commentary on how valuable your soul is to God and how valuable your eternity and how valuable your salvation. So much so that the Father, Son, and Spirit engaged in this great, grand, glorious plan to put Jesus on the cross and die for your sins. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're important to God like that, you're important to me as well, and I'll do it. And you know what? We've got lay people all throughout this congregation that if God called them to ministry, they jump at it because you're important to them. You need to make sure that you give your heart and life to Christ and do it today. These matters are urgent and important to God. So after I finish preaching, we will sing a song. We're going to ask you to come and give your heart and life to Christ, to repent and turn away from anything keeping you from Jesus, to abhor your life outside of Christ, and to trust the death and resurrection of Christ alone. And you can do that today. It is important to God, therefore it's important to us, and we hope after the message in our invitation, it will be important to you as well. So you approach prayer for the pastor and his family as if you're in a wrestling match. But that's not all. Uh, you approach it also as if you are in a rescue operation. A rescue operation. Verse 31. Now, before we read that, uh, Dr. Fish was a hero of mine. Legendary evangelism professor at Southwestern Seminary. And responsible for generations of students and professors and I, I love Dr. Fish. I had the opportunity to be his prayer partner the last two years of his life. And um, one of the greatest honors I've ever had uh, in my life. Dr. Fish was flying one time to the West Coast, and the, uh, the um, flight attendant came by and asked him and his seatmate if they wanted something to eat. And Dr. Fish said yes, and his seatmate said, no, no, I'm fasting. And Dr. Fish thought, well, hey, I've got a Christian here. I can talk with them some. And he, um, uh, after a moment, he said, I noticed, I couldn't help but overhear that you were fasting. Uh, he said, are, are you a Christian? He said, no, no, I'm, I'm a Satanist. Now, this raises lots of questions I, I, that I can't answer. But he said, I'm a Satanist. He said, well, what would you fast and pray for? He said, our coven of Satanists are fasting and praying for the downfall and the destruction of ministers' homes in our area. There was a convention in London not uh, a number of years ago where there was a group that was being awarded uh, 
uh, and being honored for their effectiveness in prayer. And what they had done is that as Satanists, they had gathered together to pray for the downfall of ministers in their community. And that year, five of them fell because of finances, morals, and because of marriage. Pastors and their families have a big bullseye on their back. If you get a church member, if the devil gets a church member and causes them to fall, that's one thing. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. But imagine the high-profile disaster it is when it's a pastor. There were two in the late 80s that absolutely ruined vocational evangelism among Southern Baptists when Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart fell. At that time, we had 2,000 Southern Baptist evangelists. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we can't get 200 to a, an evangelist conference. It's dropped incredibly. Pastors and their families have an enormous bullseye on their back and every demon in hell is gunning for them, at least in the region. Peter Drucker said, that's not to endorse everything Peter Drucker said, but Peter Drucker said, the business world is easy compared to the ministry. Now Paul's reflecting on that in verse number 31 and he lifts that up and uh, elevates it in verse number 31. He said, pray, strive together, get on the mat with me, that I may be delivered, that I may be rescued. Now, specifically from those in Judea who don't like me. Now, there were two in Judea that didn't like him, two groups of people. One happened to be the unbelievers, unbelieving Jews. Uh, you, you can understand that. He was a threat to their service and ministry. But then there were members, if you'll read Acts 21 carefully, there were members of the church at Jerusalem that didn't like the Apostle Paul either. Paul was free. He wasn't bound up with Jewish tradition like that church was. And James was having a hard time breaking them loose from the law of Moses in their traditions, even though Jesus had freed them. And they had battles in Acts chapter 15, and they ended up getting Paul in a lot of trouble in Acts chapter 21. Not the lost people, but the church people, you see. So Paul is saying, please engage in prayer for me and approach it like you are part of a rescue operation. Give your heart and soul to it because I depend on it. I've got to have your energy. I've got to have your attention. I've got to have your focus, the apostle says, for you to pray because I need to be delivered and delivered constantly at every turn, at every moment. Do you know? Every pastor and every member of his family is always one step away from disaster. Or to put it uh, a little more harshly like Steve Gaines does, every minister is one step away from stupid. That's true. One step away. You've got to pray for them that they will be delivered and approach it like a rescue operation. But there's a third image here as well. Not only a wrestling match and rescue operation, but a great work. A great work. Look at verses 31 and 32. Strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He'd taken up an offering for the struggling uh, believers in the church in Judea, and that came from the Gentiles, and for them to accept that had some 
political implications. It meant that those in Judea who were real traditional were accepting the service and legitimizing the service of Gentiles and their giving. So there's some political implications here. And Paul says, pray that these staunch traditionalists in Judea will accept the service of those who are a bit more free where they've had some difficulty and disagreement between them. Pray that they will do that. Pray that this will be acceptable. Then I want to come to you with joy by the will of God. And frankly, I need to be refreshed together with you. So there are three requests that he has here that indicate a great work of prayer. There is a service that's acceptable, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable. Then there is successful travel. I may come to you with joy. And then there is spiritual refreshment, that I may be refreshed together with you. Um, Oswald Chambers said this about prayer, and I think he's entirely correct. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is just as important as preaching. Prayer is just as important as any meeting. Prayer is just as important as worship. Prayer is just as important as Bible teaching. Prayer does not merely prepare us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. One anonymous Christian wrote, he said, Prayer is omnipotent. It can do anything that God can do. And if you will pray in the will of God, if you will seek the mind of the Lord as He articulates it in His Word and pray those things, your prayers become as powerful as God does. Now don't spend it on your desires. Don't pray amiss like James says in James 4, uh, 2 and 3. But instead, pray for those godly good things that God wants to produce in the life of the pastor and his family. Uh, Iverna Tompkins Ministries in Scottsdale, Arizona did a study of 130 pastors uh, to whom folks had committed 15 minutes of prayer a day for them. And after uh, a number of months of, after a year of prayer, for these 130, 89% of them said, my ministry has become more effective, my leadership more credible, my, my strength and the fruit of the Spirit more prominent in my life. So when you pray daily for the pastor and his family, you unleash power upon the pastor. And because he leads the church, you do so on the staff in the church. You unleash it into the world. By daily prayer, you can protect him, improve his preaching, enlarge his wisdom, grow his leadership, increase the conversions, and reach into the current and the last generation of his family before Jesus Christ returns. You can do that by prayer. Just imagine how many you can bless by praying for the pastor and his family. That's why Bill Purvis at Cascade Hills in Columbus said this in his book, Pray for Your Pastor. He said, one important reason to pray for your pastor is that you have needs that need to be met. As you lift up the pastor in prayer, his anointing flows on you. If he gets the victory, you get the victory. But if he gets defeated, you get defeated. And so Walter Wink said, history belongs to the intercessors. You shape history by prayer. Listen, more than a hundred years ago, Christians in Wales got together and they had their heart broken before God with some simple messages in their churches. Revival broke out. Ladies and gentlemen, people came to Jesus Christ all over Wales and that 
uh, awakening jumped the Atlantic Ocean, came to the United States, and gave birth to Southwestern Seminary and Biola University and a, an enormous missionary resurgence in the world that spread to Africa and Latin America and Asia and is going on today. That revival and awakening has not been terminated, perhaps in America and in Wales, but it is still flowing and going in Africa and Latin America and Asia, so much so that you cannot understand Africa, Latin America, and Asia without understanding the Christian faith. And you cannot understand the Christian faith today without understanding Africa, Latin America, and Asia because the center of great spiritual power has expanded from the United States and Europe there. Why not Athens and why not now? How about now? We've been embarrassed. We have been brokenhearted. We have been filled with grief and with anguish in our own county, in our northeast Georgia region, over how far things have departed from Almighty God. It's time for a change. It's time to lift up the name of Christ. It's time for the whole region to become known for something more than what it's known for. It's time for Jesus to be crowned King of kings, the highest affection, the greatest Lord, the highest priority, and now is the time. And it could be just that this one thing will do it. A great work is what you're doing when you pray. So let me put it to you this way. Your prayer support is our life support. Thank you for what you've done. We want to move to the next level, especially in terms of the vision I cast on the 6th of this month. We've got to have more. We've got to get on the mat. We've got to involve ourselves in the rescue operation. We've got to believe that we are doing a great, great work for Almighty God. And He will hear us as we do. Your prayer support is our life support. So with that, would you help me and take out the form in your worship guide today, if you will. And I want to ask you to make one or all three of these commitments here and just check the boxes as you will, please. Place your name and your email address, your cell number, if you're okay with receiving text messages from me. And I want to ask you to fill that out and place it in the offering plate as it comes by this morning. As you fill that out, let me talk to the rest of you that you have come in here today prayed for. Every Sunday, our Sunday school classes get together and they cover the building and the pews with prayer. And they ask God to bless you. And they ask God to have His way with you today. You have family members that have prayed for you. And they're asking that God would work in you today. Many of them know you're here and so they have become more intense in their prayers for you today. It's what they've done. Don't resist their prayers. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, but before we do, I'm going to give you the opportunity right where you are to ask Jesus to become the master and the forgiver of your life and your sins. We're going to ask Him to do that. Would you be in answer to their prayers today? Would you say yes to Him? You've drifted from God or you never cared too much about Him in the first place. Would you come to Him today through Jesus Christ? Would you trust Him? 
Would you say yes? You say, what do I have to do? Well, the Bible says to repent. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me ask you, has anyone ever invited you to lunch or a meal and you said, no, not right now, you didn't feel too close to them, but then you changed your mind and you went anyway? That's what God is doing with you today. He's saying, I'm inviting you to the feast of forgiveness and grace. And there is an abundant, never-ending supply. More than a Chinese buffet. There is more of grace in God than you'll ever need. Your sins are more offensive than what you probably realize. But there's more of God's grace than you will ever need. Would you not resist that today? Change your mind. You're you're going to accept the invitation. You've resisted so far. You're going to accept the invitation today. And and then you trust him. You trust what he's done. I had to have some trust a number of years ago when a couple of single fellows asked me to go north of Columbus to eat barbecue at a restaurant that was attached to a gas station. Now where I come from, we don't eat at gas stations. Until then, I went in and I trusted that I would come out alive. And I'm glad I did. You know what I've discovered? The best meals and the best jewelry are in gas stations. Isn't that right? Because I trusted these two fellows. They had had experience with it. Jesus Christ has experience with the Father. And He says, if you will repent and trust my cross and resurrection, I know the Father well enough to know He promises to forgive you and cancel all your sins. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you turn to Him today? In other words, be the answer to the prayer others are praying for you and that we have prayed for you today. Others of you need to come and become part of Beach Haven. We've been praying for you. Others of you have other needs. We want to invite you to come. But I want you to join me in prayer right now where you're sitting. Stay seated, please, if you will. And if you need to open your heart to Jesus Christ and receive His grace, if you need to to change, if you need to turn and come to Him today, why don't you repeat this prayer after me? Mean it in your heart. There are no magic words. Mean every word of it. Change your mind about your sin, about Christ, and then trust Him. If you will, then I want you to pray this after me. Say, Dear God, I know I am guilty. I've broken your law. I need a change I cannot produce in myself. I also believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again. Come into my life and forgive me. Come into my life and be my boss and master. I trust that you've come in and forgiven me. Now help me follow you as a serious Christian. 
me follow you in baptism and in church membership. I open my life completely. I now belong to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, we want you to come. Our staff will be here in the front. Would you quickly stand with me, please?